we've given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! There's Nathan. Hey, Shepherd. He's so cute. That's good. That's awesome. There's Mary Robin again. The kids. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, oh. Just from a message from Aaron here. Do you remember that you're preaching today? Yes. I received your notes yesterday. Just relax. Yes, it is extra dark roast. What are you having? Good grief. Can't keep up with him. Oh, he sent me a Snapchat. What do I want? morning. <laughs> well, we are addicted to these things, aren't we? We are. When my alarm goes off, I usually reach over because it's right there. And you know, you're the same way. I don't need to explain. We're addicted. And why is that? Well, what are we hoping that this thing's actually going to provide for us? Some of us actually cannot even imagine a day without our phones, without some sort of social media connection, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram. Regardless of what Mark Zuckerberg might be promising us that Facebook might change, we are addicted. But to what? Well, let me ask you this question. Could you go a day, let's make it work, could you go a week without your phones? Could you go a week, let's take it even further, could you go a week without being connected at all to people? Could you do that? Some of you extroverts just just started getting chills thinking about that. Some of you introverts are going, oh, that'd be awesome. I think maybe, maybe so. Well, there's a guy that tried it. It's actually called the loneliness experiment. Watch this. So they've taken my phone off me and my tablet and my smartwatch. It's still early doors, but so far it's been uh, remarkably quiet. Oh, I just fell asleep on the sofa in front of the television. When I woke up, I had that instinctive reaction to check my phone, which is just a normal thing to do. And obviously it wasn't there. It's been a bit lonely, but it's not been unbearable. Being used to living with lots of people as well, it's, it's a big difference. Usually when I wake up, I check like the news apps on my phone to see what's going on in the world, that sort of thing. I think it's not so much about the technology, I've realised, um, but it's about the feeling of having a connection. I can hear the uh, people in the neighbouring flats putting out in the hallway. I'll have to do something a bit more exciting, I imagine. quite jealous of that. I find it quite difficult to be honest. I can't sleep at all. It's almost like I'm not 
mentally prepared for bed because there's not been a beginning, middle and end, it's just been a, a constant nothingness. Morning, um, so on the bright side, um, today's the last day. We just count down the hours now. And I've just kind of gone into robot mode. If you start overthinking things, you start thinking about how lonely you are. I'm supposed to do these video diaries, but... Oh, I don't know what to say. Call your bum, I suppose. Kind of emotional for him to, to go through that experience. I love the line. Did you hear that? He says, it's not so much about the technology, I've realized, but it's about the feeling of being connected. That's powerful. It's, it's telling. I came across this week this, uh, this article. It is well known that our phones are more broadly, our phones or more broadly our digital connections can result in ne- negative mental effects on people over time. Recent research even found that it creates a brain imbalance in teens, and you too, now a study finds that an overattachment to our phones and technology can cause serious social problems, boosting these feelings of, of loneliness and isolation while worsening anxiety and moving us into depression. We are in a sad, sad state, aren't we? Well, uh, Put aside your fears. This is not a message against using our phones or social media. The issue that it raises, though, is one that we want to address today in the topic of belonging, because we long to be a people of connection. We long to be known. We long to belong, because this is the way that God wired us. In our current series, as Aaron has mentioned, we've been answering this, this now what question. Now that Jesus has been raised from the dead, those who believed in Jesus and desired to follow him are asking this now what question. What are we to do now? So week one, Aaron led us through the, the discover. You can believe, reasonably believe in the reality the, the, of, of the resurrection. By faith, believe in him. Then follow him. In week two, uh, we spent our time together going deeper in our understanding of baptism, which we're going to experience in, 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 in real time next week. I hope you're a part of that. And we'll do this with great joy. Last week, Aaron introduced us to a new word, the word ecclesia. But wrapped up in that word is an understanding that we gather as ecclesia, as, as the church, but we scatter to proclaim. That, that's part of the activity of, of the church. And today we come face to face with the reality of, of this word belonging. We use that word a lot around Lake Forest, and what, what do we mean? Well, let me give you the simple definition, then we're going to unpack it a bit this morning. We simply mean belonging is pursuing God in the company of friends. Pursuing God in the company of friends. But just like the other principles of our faith, those values of discover and share and go, it's... It's not an optional activity. It's an invitation into God's fullness. It's a necessary next step to who we are in Christ. 
Belonging is essential to growing and thriving in the life of Jesus. You see, pursuing God in the company of others on the faith journey is a return to God's best plan for us. Belonging helps us understand who we are, how we are to live, and what there is to hope for. So on a very deep level of how we were created, these are all longings that, that we have. We, we all long for identity, identity that can be found in belonging to a community. We all long for a fellowship that can be embraced in belonging to a community of faith. We all long for a sense of hope. And I believe that these can be met in pursuing God in the company of friends. So I want to make the point, the very strong point today, that it is God's design for you and I to belong or belonging. Oh, come on, that was pretty good. That was Aaron's. He, okay. I told you it wouldn't work. No, I'm kidding. That was mine. It was fully mine. So find the truth in these words then today. So number one, we are all longing for this sense of identity. It's, it's the who am I question that we ask. Follow with me very quickly through this story of God. We are relational beings. God created us like himself to be in relationship. The Bible teaches that God the Father, God the Son, and, and God the Holy Spirit exist in relationship together as one God, each member equal in who they are and their essence, but they, they function differently. And, but they have always existed in, in, in what theologians will, will call us this joyful relationship. Some have even called it a dance with each other. It's a mystery we in the church that we, that we call the Trinity, which we'll not explore that today. We just embrace it as God's truth. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in relationship. And when God created us, the Bible tells us that we were created in his image. Genesis 1, 17, 27 says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, made them male and female, he created them. We were made in the likeness of God, the image of God. One of these likenesses is that, like God, we too are relational. God created you and me to be in relationship with him, and no other part of his creation has that capacity. Man, that should just blow us away, that God created us to connect with him relationally, but wait, there's more. God in his perfect design, Genesis 2.18 said this, It is not good for man to be alone. So God provided Adam and Eve as he established the beginning of this relational fabric throughout all of creation, beginning with families and communities and nations. We are created to live not only in companionship and fellowship with God, but also with one another. So in the beginning, we could say that it was, it was we. It was always we. 
We were dependent upon God and we were designed to live interdependently with one another. But then sin took over the heart of humanity and broke not only our connection with God, but it severed our connection with one another. Humanity was expelled from this garden of God's fellowship and it became every man and every woman for themselves. So we became me. Now we champion the independent, the the self-made man or woman, the self-sustaining ones that we are. What we should understand very clearly this morning, that at its core, your independent self, our independence, the me way of living, is really not living at all. It's actually a sign of our brokenness. God's design is that we live in fellowship and companionship with Him and with others. And that is really the essence of our problem. The problem is we can't do it on our own. The resurrection changes everything. The resurrection is the way back to God's best. It's the, it is the only solution to our problem. The resurrection offers restored fellowship with God and with others. It actually gives us back. It invites us back to our true identity, the way that God created us to be. It's no longer me. Now it's we again. And this is what we see happening in our Acts passage that Aaron wrote, read for us this morning. As the church was birthed in the New Testament, people, individuals from all walks of, of life in that city came together on this particular day. And then we note in verse 42 that they, de- they devoted themselves. They came together. They, the we, the me became we. And that's what Aaron showed us last week, these first followers of Jesus came together and they established the ecclesia, the the church, the, the gathered ones. It doesn't say this. It doesn't say that now after they heard the wonderful message about the resurrection of Jesus, about 3,000 of them, they turned their hearts to Jesus and went home and started having quiet times and tried harder and harder to be really good Christians. No, they they came together. They participated in God's restoring of that garden community again. They didn't have sermons on becoming part of community groups. They devoted themselves to teaching together. They came together in, in fellowship. They broke bread together. They prayed together. Are you getting the idea that this faith experience, this following of Jesus is not a private venture that we have made it? It's not just me and Jesus, but it is rather we. One of my favorite passages of Scripture that points this out is 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Listen to the plural plural words here. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, for uh, different version, God's possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, which is where you were me, into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, you were me, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. 
You see that pluralness, the we-ness of, of that? The Bible offers these metaphors that are always about we, the family of God, the bride of Christ. This one in Romans 12, 4 and 5. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, we can get get this picture. We get the body picture, don't we? And these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form what? One body. And each member belongs to the others. And then just one more quickly, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything of the church, which is his his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I do have one more, Ephesians 2, 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're not out there anymore, not alone, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. We were reminded a couple of weeks ago that baptism actually offers us a picture of this transition from out there to in here, from me to we. One of my favorite images in in baptism is recounted by an early church father. When someone turned to faith in Christ after this process of learning about Jesus, this particular gathering, would the church would go down to a, what was a river at that particular time. And, and this isn't an actual photograph, by the way. This is, a, they didn't have photographs. Okay. <laughs> so they would go down to the river. This gives a great illustration because the church would gather on one side of the body of water. And that person that was being brought into the family of faith, that was receiving Jesus, would be on the other side. And in that day and time, it was appropriate for them to completely disrobe, to throw off the old, off the old way of life, off the me. And they would go down into the water, and they would, they would be identified in the death of Jesus by going under the water and raised to new life. But rather than turning around and going back, they went to the side where the, the church would receive them and put a brand new white robe over the top of their shoulders and receive them in to the community, back to the way God had designed them. Isn't that a beautiful picture of me becoming we that should empower us? As a follower of Jesus, our identity is that we belong to something much bigger and far more significant than just me. We don't lose our individuality and the giftedness that God has wired in us, but now we have a significant place of belonging. The reality is we may not have embraced it yet, but this is a relationship that as a follower of Jesus is yours for the taking. Our longing for our true identity is found in in walking with Jesus in the company of his church. Do not try this alone. We don't have to be alone any longer. This brings us to our second and closely related longing, and that is one for fellowship. It's kind of the, so how do I live question. The word fellowship has kind of lost its significance and its punch in our church lingo. It's a kind of a churchy word, isn't it? Got to go have fellowship. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get together for fellowship. 
How many of you grew up in a church that had a fellowship hall? Yeah, yeah, we do. So I can actually see the color green. It's a kind of a minty green, cinder block walls. I can smell the staleness of the basement. You smell that? Yeah, you, you're living that again? And I can see these long eight-foot tables that are kind of stacked with Pyrex dishes full of green beans with mushroom soup with that little crinkly How about the lime jello with marshmallows in it? What is that? Who eats that kind of stuff? And then that frozen cranberry dessert with, I have no idea. I just went straight to the Texas sheet cake my mom brought all the time. I knew that was safe. (laughs) Fortunately, Scripture gives us something a bit more uh, meaningful and rich when we consider the word fellowship. It's the word, it's another word. Last week was koinonia, excuse me, that's this week. Last week was ecclesia, this week the word is koinonia. Okay, we can say it together. Koinonia. Do it at the restaurant today. Don't do that. This is so fascinating. It remember, remember this context. So crowds from all, of, all over Jerusalem, were, they were gathered to witness this outpouring of the Holy Spirit to hear Peter's message. 3,000 that day came to follow Jesus and they, they were baptized. And, and then there, what next was Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. It seems like a list, doesn't it? What we see is that fellowship is other than teaching, it's something other than eating, and it's something other than praying together, and it's something other than just having fellowship. The Greek word for koinonia is so profound. It's a word, listen to this, it's a word about full engagement into the relationship. It's a full, it's leaning in to others. It involves an active participation in Christian community. It's sharing of spiritual blessings and giving out material blessings. Here's a couple other uses of that word koinonia that help expose it just a little bit more. First John 1, 3, 6, and 7. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father, with that expanded understanding of fellowship, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now listen, if we claim to have fellowship, this relationship with God, this, this uh, engagement with God, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie. We don't, we're not living out the truth, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have Fellowship, we're engaging in relationship with others. So if this is connected properly, if this relationship is intact, then naturally we're going to be leaning into relationship with others. Do you see the richness of that word? Here's one more. This one will throw us off a little bit, but I think it will help us to see. Philippians 1.3. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership. Another translation says your participation in the gospel. 
from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out unto completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It's the same word the translators give us a different perspective, and it is that word, we're going to use the word participation, because I love the activity of that. They devoted themselves to koinonia, to fellowship, to participation, full participation, and to gospel living together. It's a little bit more, a little bit more than a fellowship dinner, isn't it? Fellowship, koinonia, is this intentional outworking of the evidence of me now living with we. It is the commitment to love one another, to serve one another, to challenge one another, to, to c- correct one another. You see, this longing for fellowship is the longing to come, to come face-to-face with others, be a part of their solution as we commit to live out the gospel together. We want to live meaningful lives in the presence of others. Fellowship allows that to happen. What is God's best design for you and I to grow, to flourish in our faith? Is it alone? No. Is it in koinonia, with fellowship, for the sake of others? How many of you have ever been to uh, the sequoias, the, the redwoods, and seen those? Astounding, aren't they? Astounding to see that. They, they can easily reach 300 feet tall. The tallest on record, I didn't know this, I actually had to look it up, is 379.7 feet. You would think that a, uh, we'll just give an average here, you, you would think that, that a, a tree that's got that's 300 feet tall, would have to have a, a corresponding root base, wouldn't you? That it would have to go really, really deep to get, to get water. Not so with these redwoods. A redwood's tree roots are very, very shallow, at most five or six feet deep, but oftentimes even at the surface of the ground. And they extend outward up, up to 100 feet away from the base of the tree. They, they thrive in these thick groves, side by side, where the roots can intertwine and fuse together. You're already getting the picture, I know. This, this gives them tremendous strength against those coastal forces that come in and, and those winds. Together, they survive. Together, they grow. But there's more to this. This is such a fascinating study. It's also estimated that this 300-foot tall tree needs about 100 gallons of water per day. That's a large garden hose. (laughs) Where do they get the water? Amazingly, the canopies of these massive trees, as they're knit together in their roots, the canopies of these trees take these coastal fogs and the moisture from the air and they they turn it into condensation that falls down the trunks of the trees and and received by those roots that are exposed by one another. In other words, each tree, all the trees together, this grove of trees nourishes one another. They are in koinonia. They are supplying the needs of one another. Alone, they would never, ever survive. Maybe, maybe we should call our groups here at 
Westlake Groves. Huh? <laughs> Love that picture. Well, the last one, we'll move along quickly. The last one is we all have this longing for something to hope for. What is there in our world to give us hope? It's human nature for all of us to want that, to need that. And hope is for something that is, that is certain, something that, that's immovable, but I know for certain it's going to happen. It's going to be lasting. And our highest hope as followers of Jesus is that God's promise to us is that he will one day make all things as they should be, that relationships and creation will all be put back in the right order the way they should be. All things made right, all creation You see, ultimately, our hope is that one day we will experience the fullness of we. Back to that garden, the way God created us. Acts 2, 46 and 47 gives us a glimpse of that and indulge me with my creative thinking in this. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their home, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. You know, there's something hopeful and fulfilling about this picture. Worshiping together in fellowship and feasting and gladness and generous care for one another. You see, when we come together for worship, we are a picture of hope, of God's promised future. This, is, this one day is the way it will be, worshiping Him forever and ever. When we pursue God through the nurturing of godly relationships, we are a picture of hope of God's promised future together. When we engage in the work of the gospel together, giving mercy and and loving through justice and meeting the needs of one another, we are a picture of God's hope, his promised future. I saw this Instagram that summarized it so well this week. Matt Chandler, I think he's right. Church, we are meant to be a picture of the future that is to come. when our preferred identity is we and not me, when our lives engage in this participating fellowship koinonia, we not only experience hope, but we become a picture of hopefulness to the world. That's what awaits us because of the resurrection. Our what now as we follow Jesus we have these longings of, of identity and fellowship and hope are met by fully engaging in God's community of faith and living abundantly. Because friends, followers of Jesus, this is where you belong. This is where we'll flourish. It's no mystery to any of us here that this activity of belonging is very costly. It's much easier for everybody just to kind of move along and do their own thing, and I get that. But it's not how we were created. It's not God's best plan for us. It's not who we are. And in fact, I will suggest that without an intentional engagement 
in God's invitation to belong, we cannot enjoy God's best. Because he created us to belong. So Dwight Moody, D.L. Moody, is an evangelist of the late 1800s. He's a kind of a precursor to the Billy Graham evangelism circuit, if you will. And there was a gentleman that had, had visited one of his tent meetings, and he expressed some interest in following Jesus. Moody was invited over to his house uh, and they sat down in this comfortable room with a fireplace kind of blazing next to their two chairs. And this man began to argue that, hey, Dr. Moody, it's possible for a person to be a Christian without fully participating in the life of the church. And he proceeded to make his case that he could do this thing alone, a very detailed argument. As Moody sat there, he, he listened and he reached over and he... Uh, took the tongs from next to the fireplace and took one of the coals and moved it away from the the burning fire. And together they sat and they watched that coal burn out to nothing. Together they sat in silence for just a few moments and the gentleman turned to Moody and said, Your point has been well made. So I wonder if this is an invitation for us in this season of your life of following Jesus that maybe God's saying, hey, don't miss out on what I've offered. Come back, if you will, to the garden of fellowship. Engage. Become who I've, I've created you to be. Live fully with one another. Become, an, become a picture of hope to the world as we engage in community and love and belong, as we pursue God in the company of our friends. I don't think it's that hard. It's just a little costly to make that step. Here's the one step I'm going to encourage you to do today. First, I want you to pray. That'll be the first step. And ask how God might make that a reality in your life and what steps you can take. And the next step is just, it's very, very simple, and that is on your card. If you're thinking, you know, I'm really missing out on what God wants for me. I, I really want to get into the weeness of my, my faith. Take that card in just the next few minutes as we take up our offering and put summer group on it. That's all I want you to do, summer group. I don't know what it's going to look like for us this summer. A lot of our groups wind down, but... We're going to move forward. We're going to lean into that, and we're going to begin uh, to at least dialogue. Summer group, hey, God, I want to do something. Let's make that the reality in our lives. Can I pray for us? God, thanks for the provisions that you have made to not leave us alone in the darkness of our sin. Thank you for the provisions of your resurrection that give us life and hope and call us away from ourselves and give us the delight and the joy of living in, in koinonia in the fullness of fellowship with others. Thank you uh, for the work of your spirit that, that moves us in that direction. Give us courage to maybe take that one next step and explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus but pursuing Jesus 
in the company of others who also are following. We need your help to make those steps and, and to live in that, uh, that reality and that fullness. So help us, we pray, that we might live hopeful lives for the glory of Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.